on the west side of our house, we have probably our largest flower bed. And because it's on the west side of our house, um, the east side is where our driveway is. It's where our kids' basketball goal is. It's where they ride their bikes. It's where they play. But the west side of the house does not get a lot of attention. And it has, like I said, the largest flower bed. And so um, just by default, it is the one that goes unnoticed the most. And there are times I will walk around the side of the house and look in there, and there are weeds that are taller than I am, sticking up and vines growing over the air conditioner. And it's things that I just don't think about until I'm mowing the yard. And when I'm mowing the yard, typically that is the last place I will mow. And so when I get done mowing, I'm hot and I'm tired and I don't want to go mess with it. And so when I get the weed eater out, I'll get into the flower bed and I'll do what every honest male does. And amazingly, it is restored in an instant. It is taken care of. My wife hates it when I do that. Because usually it goes on for so long that she's finally the one that will get out there and get down on her hands and knees and start pulling up the roots. The problem with my method is that over time, um, the weeds start to reappear. Actually, rather quickly. Within the next week or so, those weeds that I got rid of completely are back. And one of the things you, you learn is what needs to happen is you need to get down on your hands and knees with some gardening gloves and start pulling them out by the root. Because if you don't get to the root of the problem, it will resurface. If you don't get to the root of the problem, it will resurface. It will keep coming back. And you will see it again. I was at the gym this last week and I had a conversation with a lady and she said, it just seems like the world is getting worse. Like the, the more you look at things, it like everything is just kind of out of control. It's in this tailspin. And I said, well, yeah. <laughs> there, there are now seven and a half billion people on this planet, all with their own free will and desires. There are more people, there are going to be more problems. But the problems are nothing new. I mean, you go back to the very beginning, the very first family, and you have Cain who gets angry with his brother Abel, and he's jealous, and he kills him. Then Noah, who the Bible said was the most righteous man of his generation, gets drunk and goes naked in front of his kids. Now, I bet none of y'all ever saw that in Miss Faye's flannel graph. <laughs> Lot has some visitors show up, and people want to have sex with them, and instead he offers them to have sex with his daughters. Yeah, yeah. Isaac um, has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and he plays favorites with them, which results in bitterness for several generations. Then Jacob, chip off the old block, plays favorites with his son Joseph, and the other brothers want to kill him, and instead they sell him into slavery. And I'm just going to stop there. I'm still in Genesis, by the way. The, the problems have not changed. There is still this struggle. 
And if you get below the surface, if you get down to the root of the problem, at the root of the problem, there are these basic needs of love, security, and significance that we talked about last week. Those things, those needs that we need met, that we need to feel like we have and are loved, that we feel like we have security, that we feel like we have significance, that we matter, that our life makes a difference. And so we turn. And last week we talked about a prayer from the book of Psalms. Psalm 80. And one of the refrains from the psalm was, Restore us, that your face may shine on us and that we may be saved. Restore us, O God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. And it's this prayer of restore us, bless us, save us. Restore us, bless us, save us. And for bless us and save us, we said there is this instantaneous aspect to it. That God can bless you, that God can save you in an instant. And that he continues to do both of those throughout your life. But when it comes to restore us, restore us is a little more difficult. Because restore us is not instantaneous. Restore us takes time. It happens over years and years and years that God restores his people. But the one thing about restore us that we didn't really talk about. When we talk about restore us, restore us talks and means a lot for you. Maybe more than any of the other three, restore us requires something of you. It requires you moving. Because God can say, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to show my favor, I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to part the waters, but I cannot walk through on the dry ground. You're going to have to take a step. If I'm going to get you to where I want you to be, if you want to experience the result of my blessings, if you want to be restored to the place that you belong, you are going to have to do something. It's not something that I can just give you and give you and give you. Here is where you have to move. Here is where you have to do something. And what we find when we talk about us moving is we're a little bit apprehensive. We're not as convinced that we need to move. We love it when God moves. But for us to move, that means uncomfortableness is going to follow. Inevitably, we're going to be in a place where we're not comfortable. And so it's easier for us to just deal with what's on the surface. It's easier for us to take out the weeds that are on top than get down to the root of the problem. And if you don't get to the root of the problem, it will resurface. And my assumption is that most of you have lived long enough there have been weeds and there have been things in your life that you have gotten rid of and yet over time they continue to resurface. They, they continue to pop up. They continue to rear their ugly heads and you want more than anything for them to go away. But the problem is you're dealing with the weed 
and you're not getting down to the root. You're not talking about where it is in love, security, and significance that you feel like those needs are not being met. And today, in our world, it is more difficult than ever to deal with those problems. Because everyone has an answer. Everyone has a self-help book. Everyone can tell you what to do. There are thousands of answers all flying at you, all at the tip of your fingertips. And you have to learn to navigate this world and how to get to the root of the problem. So enter Peter. And as he begins, he's writing to a church who is in exile, who is searching for hope, who is searching for identity, who is searching for belonging, who is trying to find their place in this world. And they're struggling to maintain their faith with all the other voices that are crowding around them. And then there is the natural tendency on top of that to just get simply busy and focused on other things. And so Peter begins this letter. And he says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their sins. So so he begins this letter saying, you God's people, you make every effort. You make every effort personally to move in this. You want God to restore you. You want God to get you to the place that he's promised he would take you. Then you make every effort. This part is on you. Like I'm going to work supernaturally through my spirit alive in you and moving in you, but you've got to do some hard work. There's not an easy way to get there. This transformation doesn't come overnight. It comes over years and years and years of wrestling with God and being alive and and being in His Spirit and His presence. It does not just happen. So you make every effort to do this. You make every effort to grow. And as he encourages them, he reminds them of what is coming. He reminds them of what is coming and what will be there in the end. So chapter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. 
Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in them will be laid bare. Several um, years back, when I first started preaching here, a couple of friends of mine came to visit. Their names are Martha and Homer Hannah. They were from Cleburne. And so I had been preaching here for five or, or six months, and all of a sudden, one Sunday morning after service, I'm standing out in the foyer, and they came up and started talking to me. And it was just natural. Because I have been around them for so long, I have known them, I was in Cleveland for 10 years, and I had this relationship with them. And so when they were there, it was like they were just supposed to be there. It didn't occur to me that they were out of place, that they didn't live in Tyler. And like in the middle of the conversation, it dawns on me, you don't live here. Like, yeah, yeah, we came to visit you. And then as they were telling me that, I specifically remember they were sitting right back here in the middle of the second section, and I remembered seeing them and thinking, huh, there's Martha and Homer. And it never occurred to me that they don't actually live in Tyler, Texas. They came here on vacation and decided that we were going to come see you and see how you were doing. And when God talks about this coming, when Peter's talking about this coming, he says it's going to happen suddenly. Like, it's just going to appear. God's kingdom, when it comes, and this shouldn't be a surprise. When God's kingdom comes, it just appears. And yet we are surprised by it. How many times do you have these moments where you get through something really difficult and you wake up and you realize, wait, Wait, God was right there the entire time, and in the moment, I failed to see him. God was working the entire time, and I was so focused, and I was so consumed by my thoughts, and my fears, and my worry, and my anxiety, and all this stuff that's happening, that I failed to see it. He says, when this day comes, it's going to happen suddenly and unexpectedly. You're going to be doing your normal, everyday stuff, and it's going to appear that is Advent. Not just that Christ has come, but that Christ continues to come and will one day return and fully and finally establish his kingdom. Not just that Christ has come as a baby, but that every day Christ will continue to come. And in this, there's going to be this fire. There's going to be this fire that he talks about looking forward to. Looking forward to and anticipating. Not not out of fear that this is going to happen, but out of joy and out of celebration that God's kingdom is going to come. And what happens in this fire is everything that does not belong in God's new world is going to disappear. It's going to be burned up. It's not going to last. This fire that comes is going to consume and burn up everything that will not remain in God's new world. 
And so his birth, his death, his resurrection inaugurate this new kingdom. And Paul talks about it constantly. Is the age, this present age that we're living in right now that's passing away. And then there is this age to come. And we, as followers of Jesus, we stand right in the middle of the present age of darkness that is passing away and this age that is to come where God is the glorious king. We stand right in the middle, and we are a part of his people who are ushering in this new kingdom. And through the cracks and the brokenness of this present world, we start to see his glorious light bursting through in the shadows. And it starts to give light, and it starts to give hope. You see, you, you can say the world seems to be getting worse. And every time you turn around, there's something new on the news. That there was a school shooting. That there was workplace violence. That someone in a position of power used their power to abuse or hurt someone else. And we see it in politicians and movie stars. We, we're, we're seeing it everywhere right now. Say, well, it's getting worse and worse and worse. But here's the beauty. That for every one single act of evil you see, think about how many more acts of beauty you see surrounding it. You see a school shooting, but then you see hundreds of people from a community coming out and loving and meeting the needs and supporting. And you see a nation giving everything they have to help console and give comfort. You see these floods and you see these hurricanes and you see people coming from everywhere. And you see the disaster and you see the destruction. But in the midst of the destruction and in the midst of the disaster, you see this hope that God's kingdom is still coming and that his people are bringing his light into this world. That wherever you see the brokenness in this present world, if you will just simply look closely, you will see the glorious light of Christ beginning to shine through the cracks, beginning to make its presence known and beginning to consume more and more of this world. And it comes slowly. It doesn't come all at once. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like yeast that's worked into the bread, and as it sits, it begins to rise, and it begins to expand. Or it's like seed that's planted in a ground, and over time it begins to to break through the surface and up into the ground, and then you start to see what it's producing. The kingdom of God comes slowly. It comes unexpectedly but it comes beautifully. In the psalmist, we we read just a little bit ago, he says, I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to His people, His faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. So so here's peace, but don't turn to folly. And he says, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. And that his glory may dwell in all the land. 
salvation is near. As God's kingdom comes for His people, His salvation is near. And, And this is not a statement of time. It's a statement of proximity. He's not saying that it's near as in, hey, in a couple years this is going to happen. He's going to say the closer you walk to Christ, the more you embody His kingdom, the more it begins to fill this earth. The more His grace, the more His goodness are seen, the more this world becomes like His kingdom because His people are following Him and living in this world in a way that makes sense in the age to come. The more that that happens, the nearer salvation gets. The the nearer salvation gets as we usher this new kingdom into this world. And so he continues on. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. How do you speed its coming? By creating God's new world through love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness and goodness. And the more we bring that into the world, the more people see that in our lives, the closer His kingdom becomes, the nearer it gets to us. And that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will, be melted, will melt in the heat. But in the keeping with His promise, here's what we are looking forward to. A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. What are we looking for? We're we're looking forward to this age that is to come where His glory fills this earth. We're we're looking forward to this new heaven and this new earth, and we're living in the midst of this present one that's passing away. And so the, the question, I think, for every single one of us, do your actions, do your attitudes, do the way that you treat other people, the way that you use your wealth, your money, your possessions, do they make sense Not in this present age that's passing away, but do they make sense in God's new kingdom? Do they make sense in the world as it should be? The world that God is restoring, the world as it was supposed to be in the garden, this intimate relationship with God. Does the way that you live, does it make sense, not just now, but does it make sense for the future? Is it going to make sense when God's kingdom finally comes? So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, not since you're scared of it, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. And bear in mind, That our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you in the wisdom that God gave him. And, And as the psalmist said, salvation is near, so don't go back to the ways of folly. 
Don't, don't go back to chasing everything that matters right now in this present, present world. Start living in a way that makes sense in the world to come. Start living a life that is full of grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and goodness and kindness and gentleness. All those fruits that are supposed to be flowing out of our life. Start living with that in mind. Because he desires, listen, he desires for his people to be at peace. He, he wants you to be at peace with him. And, and so Peter's urging, live godly, live holy lives. Live spotless, blameless lives at peace with him. And the good news is that he has patience with his people. See, because it's not that, that we are waiting on him. It's that he is patiently waiting on us to be transformed, to be renewed, to be made whole. Last week, we had a small group at our house. And I love, there's kind of a selfish side that loves having everyone to our house. Because with four kids, it's a slim possibility our house is going to get a little bit out of hand over the course of the week. There might be some toys in the floor. There may be some laundry to do. Um, there, there's a slight possibility that our house is going to get out of hand. And so having things at our house is really great because it forces us to all clean our house. And so usually what happens is we're having group and we'll, we'll spend some time Saturday and we'll spend some time Sunday cleaning our house. And so last week we started on Sunday afternoon about 2 o'clock. We're going to get everything clean. And we start working. And we're working and we're working. And, and you start noticing things as you're going through the house cleaning. Things that are out of place. And things that don't belong. And this shirt needs to find its way to the laundry room. And this toy needs to find its way to the kids' bedroom. And this blanket needs to go back to their beds. You, you notice things that are out of place because you're specifically paying attention to them. You're, you're watching them. And so you get them clean. And then there's the, the we've got it clean enough stage for people. And we got to the we got it clean enough stage about 4.30. And so we had an hour and a half where we're still kind of looking around and saying, well, we can give a little bit more attention to this. And we can give a little more attention right here. And we can actually get down on our hands and knees and do some work. And, and here's the thing. Is it never gets completely done. Correct? Like you never get to this point where your house, you're like, it's perfect. And if you somehow do, come see me when we get done. <laughs> but there's always something else that needs to be done. And, and so we keep working at little things as it gets ready, and we're anticipating our guests' arrival. We're, we're anticipating them come back, and we're doing it not because we're scared of what they're going to see when they arrive, but we're doing it so that when they arrive, they feel at home. See, what we're doing 
is we're preparing. We're preparing ourselves for Christ's return. Not out of fear, but out of a respect, a love, a hope that in His return, He feels at home with you. And I I love the question, or or Peter uses it as a statement. I want to use it as a question. But he says, make every effort to be found. And this is where it comes back to you, God restoring you. You make every effort to be found blameless and spotless and at peace with Him. Here's your question this morning. Is your heart at peace with Christ? As we take some time to look at our lives, is your heart at peace with Him? Or do you, as you look around the house... Do you see things that are out of place? Maybe some things that don't belong. Some some things that need to be gotten rid of so that there's room for Him. So how do we begin to move in that direction? I think first we examine our life. when When you start cleaning the house, you look around and you say, okay, what's out of place? What doesn't belong? I think that's where we begin. We just begin by examining our life. And here's the thing. We're so busy, we rarely take the time to do it. And I think the other reason we don't, because if we do it honestly, I think we're really afraid of what we might find in there. So we examine our life. The second thing, I think, name your sin. What, what is it? What, what is it that's in your life? What is it that's hitting there? Is it lust? Is it anger? Is it impatience? Is it fear? Is it an affair? Is it lying? Is it deception? Is it hate? Is it abuse of power? Is it idle? Is it jealousy? Is it complacency? Is it arrogance? See, we, we love to talk about sin ambiguously. Well, yeah, we're, we're sinful people. Okay, okay, great. I, I get that. But let, let's examine and let's get down to the root. What, what do you mean by that? What, what is it in the core? What, what is it that's down in the roots? What is it that you need to get rid of? Not, not speaking in ambiguity, but really specific. Name it. It's anger. It's lust. It's lying. It's deception. And then here's here's the danger. Is that you look and you say, well, I don't see anything there. I I don't have any of that stuff. And I want to ask you to do something really difficult. 
ask yourself, have you become self-righteous? Well, compared to them, everything's okay in my world. I'm not like those people. We all got it right. To take a hard look inside at you and ask yourself what's there. What's out of place? What does not belong? Because sin, it kills over time. It kills slowly. And if it's there long enough, I promise you, you will be crushed by the weight of its fruit. See, sin kills just as you were told it would, but in ways we never imagined it could. It will continue to show up. And if you just deal with what's on the surface, that website that I visit when no one else is around, the little white lie that I told, if you don't get down to the root, if you don't get down on the hands and knees and start picking it out by the roots and really looking at it, then I promise you it will continue to resurface. And third is this, ruthlessly remove it. This is where you have to work at it. And you have to make some effort to change. Prayer that we talked about going back a few weeks in this last series, that is why it is so important. The purpose of prayer, the primary purpose of prayer is not to persuade God to do what we want. The primary purpose of prayer is that we would be properly formed. Through sitting with Him, through being in His presence, He starts to change who we are. And as you sit in His presence and you ask those questions, what doesn't belong? What's out of place? What does not work in this new world that God is bringing fully and finally in his coming. See, here's why we don't experience peace with him. Because deep down, there are probably some things that we've never dealt with. And understand, this is not about forgiveness of sins. This is about experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus promised you could. He he saved you. But he does not want to leave you where you started. He wants to restore you. He wants to make you what he wants you to be into his likeness, into his image. And that's going to take some time. So you work on it. Not necessarily by working on it, but by working on you. And what we're doing in this is we're creating space for that good fruit to flourish. See, see, most of the time we talk about the fruits of the Spirit. And the reason we don't see them, I think, a lot of times is because there's not space for them. Love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. There's not space for the good fruit to grow because it's crowded out by the weeds. 
So we examine our life, we name our sin, and then we work to ruthlessly remove it. Is your heart at peace? Are you at peace with Him? Are you working and making every effort to be found blameless and spotless and at peace with Him? Or have you kind of gotten lost in your focus? Or every day, do you wake up with this burning passion and desire to be more like Jesus? To be formed in His image? To look just a little bit like Him, more like Him than you did the day before? Don't get sidetracked. Don't turn back to the ways of folly. Don't start chasing after things that don't matter. Because God's going to continue to appear. And as we usher in his kingdom, we are the ones working right alongside him, bringing his kingdom fully and finally as he promised. Father, help us to look deep within us with honesty, with sincerity, to be formed more like Jesus. And Father, our hope in that day is simply in you. It's in your son, it's in his cross, it's in his resurrection, it's in the forgiveness of sins. But Father, you want us to have an abundant life here on earth. A life that is full and free. And we find that as we become more like Christ. Help us to ruthlessly remove the things that don't belong and give us the wisdom to see the ones hiding in the darkness that too often we fail to see. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come quickly. But Father, as your people, we wait patiently as you wait patiently on us wanting us to come to repentance. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any need, if you've never given your life to Christ, washed in His blood, we offer you that invitation today. But if there's something in your life that needs to be gotten out, and you need some accountability, you need someone to pray for you or over you, We're going to have shepherds, we're going to have ministry staff all around this auditorium. We would love to help you in any way. They'll be at the back for the most part. We would love to help you in any way that we could. So whatever your need, um, let us know while we stand and we sing.